We're talking about blind spots. We're in week two of blind spots, and I got good news and bad news. You have them. Uh, your spouse has them. Your kids have them. Your boss has them. And uh, the thing about blind spots is they're just always easier to pick out in other people. Uh, but when somebody points one out in you, you're just like, I don't know. I know myself pretty well. I just don't think that I could have been mispronouncing that word my entire life, and now you're just the first person to correct me. Turns out you were mispronouncing that word your entire life, or you were calling that actor by the wrong name, or you were what, whatever it was. We all have blind spots. Now, for the, for, for the most part, it's probably not a big deal. You know, we got some things we don't know, we don't understand, but it's, it's not a huge problem. But there are areas of our lives where we are doing things, we are operating in ways that actually impact other people and ourselves. And so we've been defining blind spot as any area of our lives where we can't or won't see the damage we're causing to ourselves and others. So it means we're, we're saying things. Like we've got, a, we've got a way of speaking about us that is it's, it's hurtful or destructive to people, and we don't realize it. We think we're being honest. We think we're being direct, and we're just being rude. Uh, and, and we all have these different things. So, so let, me, um, let me give you the verse that we've been kind of looking at through this series, and we will continue uh, next week as well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck? I mean, your vision is so good when it comes to other people's problems. But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Why do you see the speck, but you don't notice the log? So last week we said this. We said we all have blind spots. We all have them. Everybody does. And if you're sitting there thinking, I do not, well, congratulations. We found your first one. The second thing we talked about is they are causing problems. They do. You know, you've said things, done things, you've operated in ways that were hurtful to, to yourself and other people. And we need other people to help us out. We need other people to tell us we got spinach in our teeth. We need other people to tell us that we've got a trail of toilet paper hanging on our shoe when we came out of the bathroom. We need other people to lovingly, graciously, kindly point out our blind spots. We just need that. So, uh... What we wanted to talk about this week is just the number one factor, kind of the number one thing, the number one curtain that's kind of being pulled over our blind spots. Anybody in here ever been uh, scammed or had your email account hacked or Facebook or whatever? Raise your hand if you've ever been scammed or your email has been hacked, your Spotify account has been hacked. Okay, it's very interesting. Uh, this is very fascinating to me because 100% of you have been scammed and only about 12 people raise their hand, which means that your email account is right now shooting out spam emails, sending supplements to people, and you have no clue. You're just operating about your life like it's no big deal, but totally you are spamming people right and left. You just don't realize it. You've had, many of you have had your credit card account number stolen. You've had suspicious charges or suspicious whatever. You've, it, it has happened, believe it or not, and you probably just don't realize it. You've had somebody call you from, that was trying to get you to give them your social security number, credit card number, that sort of thing. You've had that happen. The other day, my phone uh, rang one time. And, uh, and I, didn't, you know, I didn't pay much attention to it, but I looked later and I realized that I had had a, a missed call, but it only rang once, which was kind of odd. And the missed call was from Baghdad, Iraq. Baghdad, Iraq. Uh, not to be confused with Baghdad, Kentucky, because that is a place as well. And I thought, wow, I must be super important that someone from Baghdad is calling me. Do they need, is there some crisis that they need my input on? How to figure something out over there? They need to talk to me, whoever it is. And I thought, well, I better call this number back. 
So I got out my phone, and I was like, how do you make an international call to Baghdad? And then I, and then I had this, just this pause, and I thought, you know, you should just do a quick Google search just to make sure that this isn't some scam. Did a quick Google search. Sure enough, number one result is this is an FCC warning scam. Do not call them back. And the way the scam works is that they find some dummy who gets a call from some foreign country and thinks that they're super important, and then they call that number back. And as soon as you call the number back and the phone picks up, you begin being charged like these exorbitant international rates, and you, will, you won't see it immediately, but down the road when you get your phone bill and it's $500, $1,000, you'll be like, what in the world happened? Well, you placed a call to Baghdad, and it was some number, and they started charging you, and you're stuck. It's a scam. It's a scam. And they just play on, uh, you know, people thinking that they're really more important than they, than they are. So someone has hijacked your email address. Someone has sent spam to your friends. You've gotten an email from someone saying, hey, did you, are you trying to sell me a supplement? Nope, that's, that's not me. You've gotten that email. You've gotten on Facebook accounts and you've seen, I don't think my grandmother would post that. I don't think that's her. Grandmother, I think you need to change your password from password and make it something that's really a little bit more difficult. Let me help you out this morning. Bill Gates did not email you. He's not giving you any money. He's got a lot of it. He's not giving it to you. He's a generous guy, not to you. The IRS is not going to reach out to you via text message. They're not going to do it, especially in, in broken English. You do not know any rich Nigerian princes. You don't know them. And they do not need your help getting money out of their country. This scam has been around for a long time, and it still nets $700,000 a year. Wow. Some of you are like, well, I, my rich Nigerian prince is real. He's, he's, and he's about to get back to me with some money. Scams work because they exploit our self-interests, and sometimes they exploit our fear, and so our self-interests being to avoid fear. They short-circuit our thinking, thinking like, oh, I, could, I could get rich. This, this could be it. I didn't enter the lottery, but somehow I won, and all I have to do is give them my credit card number. And they trick us into behaving in ways contrary to our well-being. Scam works. It, it, it short-circuits your thinking, playing on your desires and, and your fears. That's what is going on here. The internet told me I want a $1,000 gift card, and now I just have to click here. And now your computer is infected, and you don't even know it. Or they play on your fear, like, hey, your account is going to be canceled unless you do this thing, X, Y, Z. And if they can't do either of those things, they'll settle for confusing you, as long as they can get you to make a decision contrary to your self-interests. All right, I want you to hold on to that idea just for a second, the idea of scams, and we're going to introduce a, a different biblical idea because this is not a seminar on how to avoid scams. And I want you to think about the word sin, the word sin. This is a very churchy word. You did not use it this week at work. You did not get an email from your boss or coworker that contained the word sin. And so I think often when we think about the word sin, what we're hearing, the way we're interpreting this word is like, oh, sin, yes, that is things that Christians are not supposed to do. 
And, and, and often it's fun things that Christians are not supposed to do. That's what sin is. But we need to disabuse ourselves of that idea right now because it's such a bad idea to think that sin is things Christians are not supposed to do. It can contain those. But it's much more than that. And so I just want you to hear this for a second. Sin is any time, any time, humans fall short of the way God created us to live. And this is any human. Any time that humans fall short of the way God created us to live. So, for example, when we manipulate or abuse others using anger or using power, that is sin. Because we are falling short of what God has created us to do, the standard to which God has created us to live. When we build ourselves up by tearing other people down, that is sin. So when we gossip, we're like, ah, it's just a little bit of juicy gossip. But what we're doing is we're tearing somebody down. But it's true. But you're tearing somebody down in order to make yourself feel or look better. That's, it, that's why it's sin. That's what we're talking about. It's not just fun things that Christians aren't supposed to do once they get baptized. It's anytime humans fall short of the way God created us to live. When we benefit ourselves at the expense of someone else. That's what we call sin. That's what we call sin. So here's, we need to put these two ideas together. And this is important. Sin is a scam. Sin is a scam. And I want you to think about the way the biblical authors wrote about this because it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. And I think this is a good framework for us to think about this idea. Sin is a scam. And the thing is, is some of us are playing the game. We've got the, we got the sin on the phone and we're just ready to hand out our credit card number. But sin is a scam. Um, and the thing is, it's not just trying to drain our bank account. Sin is trying to destroy your life. It's trying to pull your life apart at the seams. And you're like, wow, that's all right. Now you sound like one of those fundamentalist preachers that's talking about sin and fire and brimstone. No, you got to hear how the Bible authors describe the concept of sin. I want you to see a few verses just real quickly. Romans chapter 6, verse 21. What benefit, this is Paul, what benefit did you reap? What good was it at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things, those sins result in death. Seems kind of serious. I mean, because when a scammer gets us on the line, they're not trying to kill us. They're just trying to take our money. But sin is trying to destroy our lives. Romans 6, 23, a lot of you know this. For the wages of sin is death. You've heard that. The wages, the payout of sin. When you engage in sin, this is what you get in return. Death. That sounds fun. Great. Uh, Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, in other words, if you just follow those desires, those things that you want to do, your most basic urges, you will die. It's not messing around. James 1, 15, this is a really vivid illustration of sin, and if you want to read the whole thing, it's crazy, but it uses the uh, illustration of pregnancy and talks about sin. But sin, you give birth to sin, desire gives birth to sin, but sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Oof. 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Ah, I don't know. That just, man, I don't know. I mean, but this is what we have to hear when we think about sin. Sin is not fun things that God is trying to keep us from doing. Sin wants to ruin your relationships. Sin wants to destroy your reputation. Sin wants to just pull your life apart at the seams and just leave it in pieces. That's what sin wants to do. In the very beginning, in the, in the Genesis chapter 3, the first pages of the Bible, 
God told Cain, hey, sin is crouching at your door, and it want, its desire is for you. Wow, man, that seems so intense. Patrick, maybe tone it down a little bit. And this is, this is so important. Sin actually steals the very thing it promises. It promises fulfillment. It delivers emptiness. It promises happiness. It delivers sorrow. Jesus says it promises freedom. It delivers slavery. It promises life. And it delivers death. And so sin shows up as an email or a call. Hey, if you do this thing, you will be happy. But when the thing is delivered, it's death and sorrow and emptiness. That's the life and death language the authors of the scriptures were using to describe sin. They weren't messing around. They just weren't messing around. Fun things God doesn't want us to do. They were saying, no, it's a dangerous thing God is trying to protect you from. With sin, what is delivered to the table never looks like the picture on the menu. It never looks like what's promised. It never shows up in the way that we think it's going to show up. It never is what we think it's going to be. And we don't take it seriously because most of us are way more concerned about our email getting hacked than sin threatening our lives. Most of us, man, we hear that there's a suspicious charge on our, on our bank account. Call the FBI. Call the police. Call the bank. Sin, eh, eh, what are you going to do? I'm only human. I'm everybody sins. It's, well, well here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing, we just don't take it seriously. And sin works because it exploits our self-interests. It short-circuits our thinking and tricks us into behaving contrary to our well-being. That's how sin works. That's serious stuff. Sin, for those of you that are really into true crime, I know some of you just true crime books, true, true crime podcasts. Sin is that white van with no windows, you know, Ice cream, free ice cream spray painted on the side. And, you know, you're standing there thinking, well, it looks a little suspicious, but maybe they have some rocky road. <laughs> That's sin. That's sin. Some of you are going to watch football today, and some of you are going to yell at the TV because you think the refs got it wrong. You're going to be like, that was clearly a catch when it was an interception or whatever it was, right? And the way that we know we're often wrong is because when we see that action unfold in real time, it's all happening so fast. We don't say, did the ball hit the ground? All that kind of stuff, whatever it is. But they have this technology where they slow the action way down and then they break it down frame by frame and you can clearly see, oh, he was in bounds or oh, he wasn't or he did touch him or it was a foul or whatever. The instant replay, the slow motion instant replay. So what I want to do, we're not going to take very long to do this, but I want to break down how sin works in our lives because we're not paying, we're not noticing it. We, we are like, oh, that will make me happy. I will go after that thing. But I want you to just see this kind of slow motion replay of how sin works in your lives. And it's never this clinical or methodical. You're never, you know, if you are engaged in sin, maybe other people can look at your life and you're Say like, hey, you are headed a dangerous path, but you're like, whoa, this happiness at the end of this path. Just come down this dark alley and there's happiness over here. And other people are like, no, it's not. It's not what it promises. So I want to break this down real quick and, uh, and, and just to help us understand what's going on when we make these sorts of choices. It's one of the most basic themes in scripture, all the way from the garden in Genesis to Jesus in the wilderness. Just one of the most basic themes about how sin tries to work its way into our lives. So the first thing. First thing that happens is desire. Starts with this desire. Sin is only appealing because there's something in us that wants to sin. We want whatever it is that sin is offering, the happiness, the fulfillment, whatever, the relationship, the acceptance, whatever it is. So there's this desire that sin plays with. It's already in us. We already have it. It's a weakness. It's a blind spot. We already have it. It's not just because we're innocent bystanders. The scam works 
because we're, we're, uh, we're going along with the process. And so James chapter 1 verse 14 says this. We read 15 earlier. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Violent imagery. When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I sinned and it was all their fault. No, there was something in you. Sin works through our selfishness and our, 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 our own weaknesses. So we have followed sin down some dark alleys right past some warning signs. The second thing sin does is it lies to us. So the primary tool of sin is lies. It never shows up clearly labeled. You know, it's not like, hey, by the way, that's uh, sin down that path. If you open that door, that's sin or shows up in an Amazon box saying, hey, you have to sign here. Just want you to know there's sin inside the box here. Never does that. There's never any sort of disclaimer. We don't have to like click any warning, nothing like that. Sin messes with us and promises something that it is not going to deliver. But its primary tool is deceit. But there are a few telltale signs. There are a few things that repeatedly get said when it, when it comes to making these choices to sin. And the reason I know this is because I've said all these things. I've made all these arguments. And, and so when you see people saying these things, you, are now, you know, okay, well, I think you're messing with something you shouldn't be messing with. These are like greatest hits of sin. This is like classics. Number one, I won't let it get out of hand. It's a classic. I won't let it get out of hand. I mean, I know for everybody else in the known universe, they couldn't handle it, but I can. I won't let it get out of hand. Nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. And once you're saying stuff like that, you know you're edging toward the serial killer van. How about this? Just this once. Just this once. Yeah, I, I won't next time, but just this once. How, you know, how about this one? This is a popular one. And by the way, this last one is the moral guiding principle for our society today. And it is leading people to all sorts of destruction. I'm not hurting anyone and people are making devastating choices thinking that they're not hurting themselves and others i'm not hurting anyone or maybe you're not saying these things maybe you're asking these questions these are questions that we begin to ask with sin wouldn't i be happier if insert questionable activity here did god really say not to for those of you that grew up going to Bible class, man, this is from the very beginning, right in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say not to? Is it really such a big deal if I, I mean, that person over there, they did this their entire lives. They, they, they seem happy. They seem okay. If you were to ask them, that maybe wouldn't be the truth, but, you know, from the outside. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Sin just doesn't announce itself. It doesn't say, hey, by the way, I'm sin, and I'm going to ruin your life. Enjoy. These things depend on human tradition or human logic and the elemental spiritual force of this world rather than on Christ. And then the third thing. So we have desire. We have deceit. And then the third thing, and this is the thing that doesn't get talked about very much. And I wish this were a more fun, lighthearted, happy sermon. But this is important. The thing that doesn't get talked about very often is what sin does once it begins to take root in our lives. And it begins to distort our thinking. This is kind of important because I think when we think about this slow motion replay, we don't ever really get to this part. But what started off as questionable becomes normal. What started off as out of bounds becomes the center of gravity. What started off as once in a while becomes everyday choices. 
Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin wants us to, and this is so important. I was, um, I love podcasts, love listening to podcasts. And I was listening to this one um, about rabies, which, you know, why would you click on that? But it was interesting. You know, like, what's it, rabies? All right, I'll read about, I'll listen to rabies. Rabies, the rabies virus, I can't even pronounce it. It's the craziest thing. The rabies virus will infect its host, and it begins to work its way up the nervous system to the host's brain. And once it gets to the host's brain, it starts, it makes the host aggressive and want to bite other people. Normally, we see this in animals. And it also, but it, people too, they'll be aggressive and want to like, because it's trying to spread itself. And the other thing that the rabies virus will do is it makes the host, the infected host, afraid of water. They don't want to drink water, don't want to be around water, because if they were to take in water, it would reduce the effectiveness of the virus spreading itself. And so the virus prevents the person or the dog or the whatever it is from doing the thing that would lead to its healing. Boy, I heard that and I was like, that sounds like sin. Because sin, we start off here and we're like, yeah, maybe it's questionable, but I saw that person over there. What does it hurt? Who, what does it matter? It's not any big deal. And we move our way, making these questionable choices into this position where now where we were looks silly and extreme and irrational because we're all the way over here. I want to say something that I think is important and that could be easily misunderstood. Our, uh, when, when, we, when we say the word culture, it could just, you know, church, it brings up all kinds of stuff when we use, just say the word culture. For some people, we're like, hey, church needs to have more culture. Some people, culture is a bad word and we want to avoid it. But, but you need to know that culture is not, it's, it's not good or bad. Jesus sometimes upheld culture and sometimes he opposed culture. Uh, sometimes he went along with what culture was doing because it was good and not harmful, and sometimes he totally stood up against it and called it out. Culture itself, it doesn't, it's not, culture is not a boogeyman. It's not its own bad thing. It depends on what it's encouraging. You can't dismiss it all. It's not monolithic. You can't dismiss it all as bad or good or whatever. In fact, most of what we're comfortable with that we call tradition is just entrenched culture. That's all it is. It's just culture that's just kind of like dug its heels in, and we're just living it out, and we call it tradition, if it's somehow different. But it seems to me, and I, I say all that because when I think about our society or our culture as a whole, it seems where those norms of society have begun to shift is completely evident in the arena of sexual ethics. When you look at what our culture... Again, not monolithic, but our culture tends to promote. It's not just saying, hey, don't tell other people that that's bad. It's saying you should tell people that that's good and should be pursued. And now it feels strange sometimes as a Christian to stand up and say, I'm not sure that's right. Because our culture looks at you and says, well, you must be ignorant and backward and a bigot. But what has happened is the center of gravity has shifted. Because sin begins to be entrenched. Now you can see that play out in your own way if you don't like that illustration. I'm just giving you what I feel like I've seen, what I've experienced. But in some areas, the shift has been great, by the way. 
I think it's so much better in, in some areas. I think it's so great that our culture is saying, hey, you need to emphasize consent in sexual relationships. That's wonderful. But then there's other areas where well, anything goes as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And it's just shifted. And it's become, I think it's become a problem. I know this is slightly off topic, but I was trying to think about culture and some of the cultural differences from when I was a kid. And uh, bullying has always been not a great thing. But when I was a kid, it was just kind of like, eh, yeah, it happens, part of life. And now, man, even, like, oh, he's a bully. Like, that's a big accusation. I mean, culture has shifted, and that's a good shift. But there's so many other ways that we have to be careful, and we just kind of drift along with that. And, and what happens is what was... What at one point was, was abnormal becomes normal, and our shift, our perspective, just completely changes. Last thing I want to talk about is what do we do? What do we do with all this? What do we do? Said a lot, Patrick. What do we do? Number one, I would say this. We have to fight to believe the truth. We have to fight to believe the truth. Because sin doesn't say, hey, just make sure you read the fine print before you click accept. We have to fight. We have to know what we're getting into and know what we're thinking and know why we believe what we believe. But I think this is really important for us to understand. Jesus, when he said, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he was saying, I am your point of reference. If you're looking at something and you can't envision me doing that, then maybe you should take a step back and say, is that really something I should do? Because Jesus is our point of reference for truth. We have to fight for that. We do. Truth isn't going to be handed to you. It has to be sought. And we have to be skeptical of the claims sin is making. It is going to lie. So make sure you're reading the fine print. Make sure you're thinking it through before you just say, well, it's not really hurting anybody. Secondly, this is important. Secondly, you've got to get around good people. You got to get around good people. Remember, because sin is so often just a blind spot. We just don't see it. We don't see what we're doing. I have been there where I'm just like making these bad choices. And, you know, and I have also isolated myself from people who would point out, hey, that's a bad choice. Because I know somewhere deep, deep, deep down inside that it is something I shouldn't be doing. And so I have avoided being around people that might point that out. Sin, listen, this is, you guys are going to, oh, Patrick, has gone off the deep end. Sin wants to keep you from your small group. Because it doesn't want you to develop relationships with people who actually know you and see what's going on in your life. Sin doesn't want that. Oh, this is self-serving. I'm a preacher, right? But sin doesn't want you to come to church. Doesn't want that. Doesn't want that for you. And so when you're thinking like, well, yeah, I've got some stuff in my life. I just wouldn't want everybody to know. You know, I, th I don't think I'm going to be around church people. I just, you know, I don't feel well, whatever. I don't feel up to it. You have to get around good people. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily. And this is, what, this is what the author of Hebrews says. As long as it's called today. And so he's saying, hey, what day is it? Today? Okay, then you need encouragement to avoid sin. It's today? Deal. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because you have blind spots. And sin is going to play to those. You have to be around good people. Number three. Number three. And this is so important. And I want you to hear this. Don't let sin have the last word. No matter how far down the dark alley we've gone, there is always a way back. That is the entire point of the cross. 
is that there is always a way back. There's always a way back. And listen, we have to be constantly reminded of this. And if, there's, if this verse is not underlined in your Bible or if it's not highlighted in your Bible app, then you need to change that right now because this verse needs to be just resonating in your soul daily. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Did you hear that? What is there none of? Condemnation. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. For those who have decided, I want this to be a part of my, my life. Now, do we make some questionable choices and Jesus has to pull us back from the brink? Absolutely, that happens. But there's no condemnation in that. He's not looking at you and saying, you dummy, what is wrong with you? There's no condemnation. There's no shame. We've messed up, yes. And sometimes we continue to play with the serial killer van and we continue to creep towards sin. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He wants to pull us back because you belong to him. Because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. Oh, this is so good. It has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I think this is a verse we should all get tattooed on our foreheads, you know? Constantly. Every time you look in the mirror, no, no condemnation. Society would condemn us for that tattoo, but God wouldn't. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The cross is absolutely the last word. And l let me conclude with this. Because when I find myself, and when I have found myself, making those choices that lead me down dark, darker and darker and darker alleys, this is what I needed to hear. And so if you are in the room and by some, you know, act, miraculous act of God, you happen to be here this morning, you weren't going to come because you weren't feeling it and you're junk in your life or whatever it is, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this because this is what I needed to hear when I was in my darkest alleys. We are tempted to run from conviction. We're tempted to run from God. We're tempted to run from that sense of God saying, hey, what you're doing isn't right. We want to run from that. And so with this whole sermon, some of you have been like, I don't want to hear about sin. We're tempted to run from conviction because we are afraid of condemnation. That's why we want to run. I don't want some, you know, goody two-shoes church person telling me that something in my life isn't good enough. We want to run from that because we're afraid of condemnation. But listen, God isn't chasing you to condemn you. That's not what he wants. God is chasing you to heal you. That's what he wants. And so when he catches you, you're like, why was I running this whole time? He wanted the best for me. He wanted better for me than I thought. He wanted better for me than I wanted. And I was running from that. How crazy is that? He is not chasing us to condemn us. He's not. That's never been what it's about. He is chasing us in order to heal us. And that is, man, that is such good news. And that's why when we look at the cross, when we think of Christ, when we think of the sacrifice of Christ, we can think about our sin. But man, if we don't pivot immediately to think about our redemption, then we're missing the point. The cross is about redemption. So sin is a scam. It is trying to trick you. It is trying to destroy your life. But you have been given by Christ power over it. All right. Come back next week. We're going to wrap up this series, and we're going to talk about what do we do because the verse in Matthew chapter 7 does say, first remove the log from your own eye, and then 
you can help somebody with the specs. So we're going to talk about what it means to help other people carefully, cautiously, lovingly, maturely help other people with the speck in their lives. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for uh, redemption. God, I, I pray that if a single person walks out of here feeling uh, convicted, they would only feel convicted to run towards you, that they would not feel condemned or burdened. But Lord, we know we have sin. We know we have it in our lives. And we know we have this junk and these desires that are just pulling us from you. And so Lord, I just pray that we would be overwhelmed right now with your love and your grace. And maybe that needs to be experienced through the other people in the room, that we would encourage one another daily. But I pray that we'd be overwhelmed by that love and that grace and that we would run to you for healing because you can clean this up, Lord, and you can pull us back up and stand us back up on our feet. Lord, I pray that that would be true for every person in the room today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.